Good morning to you. Were you as blessed today by our worship team and how they've been leading us of late? I'm always encouraged when I come into our, our gatherings here to know that we are going to truly lift up Jesus, but we're going to do so in a way um, that stretches across multiple, multiple generations. And there are few churches that are able to do that anymore, and uh, I, am, I am deeply grateful for Danny and the rest of the worship team uh, for all that they do. They work so hard, so diligently to prepare us uh, for the receiving of the word and prompt us to worship our Lord together. Uh, before we get into the message today, however, I want to give you a little bit of an update of our search for our next worship pastor. You know, we, we are in the middle of a transition as Pastor Don uh, transitioned out uh, about a month or so ago. Uh, Danny is uh, moving full-time out of his worship role uh, where he has sort of been in a combo position of both worship and executive pastor. He's moving completely into the executive pastor role. If you know much about him, he is uniquely gifted and shaped to that. Um, and yet, uh, those two fellows have done an incredible job in leading us uh, through a, an incredible transition to where we are worshiping now together in this multi-generational approach. Um, but the search for worship pastor is not as easy as it used to be. I saw a statistic um, uh, just a few days ago about one of our, our uh, fellow state Baptist conventions that uh, one out of every four churches in that state convention, I think it was uh, the Mississippi Baptist Convention, are without pastors and that they're having trouble finding pastors to fill the role. And that sort of speaks on, on a specific level to a, a broader concern that's happening, not just with our denomination, but across denomination and denomination, that there are fewer of our young people being called into the ministry, called out of the ministry, and receiving the call to ministry. And that there is a crisis looming in, in front of, of many, many churches where we're going to have churches with the in, inability to have a pastor or other staff people to lead that church. And so I say all that to say this, that it is particularly a concern when it comes to a church like ours uh, seeking to fill a role that is very unique, uh, a worship role that is bridging such a broad spectrum of, of uh, ability and talent uh, that it's not as easy as it used to be to find a worship pastor. And for that reason, uh, we are working with a consultant. Uh, there's a, a group called the Dwight Whitworth and Company. Uh, they have a consultant, Ken Van Cura, that we are working with, uh, who is helping us in our search. And uh, they're, they're a, a fantastic group, and, and Ken himself is, is a great fellow. Um, this week, Ken is going to be here on our church property uh, on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, we'll be working uh, with our worship teams, uh, all for the purpose of being here next Sunday morning to lead us in worship. Now, I say that to let you know that Ken is our consultant, not our candidate, all right? And part of their process in, in helping and consulting churches in, in finding their next worship leader is they really want to know the church, who they are, uh, but both behind the scenes as well as in their worship services. And the best way uh, for Ken to, to know that is to actually be the guide leading worship. So next Sunday you will come, you will see an unfamiliar face on the stage. Uh, he, again, he is not our candidate but he's the guy that's helping us find our candidate, all right? And I'm going to ask you to write his name down, Ken Van Cura. Uh, that's Ken, K-E-N, Van, V-A-N. Uh, 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 the second word of his last name is Cura, C-U-R-A. And covenant to pray for Ken. Pray for Ken as he is working, but also 
uh, pray for that person whose name we don't know yet, uh, who is out there uh, that the Lord is going to draw to us. So pray for Ken Van Cura, pray for that unknown worship pastor. In fact, let's just pause and pray right now. Can we do that? I think that would be very appropriate before we go any further. Let's pray. Lord, here you've prompted me, I believe, to pray in this moment for the future of our church in regards to its worship. Lord, I am deeply grateful for the evolution that has happened in our worship ministry. We've wrestled like many churches have wrestled. We've wrestled through the years um, trying to be a church that, me- that meets uh, across multiple contexts, meets needs, and brings the people of God to worship you. And Lord, we have been deeply blessed these, these last few years um, through the, the, the present leadership of uh, where we are in worshiping week in and week out. The depth and the richness uh, of our worship and the content of our worship, as well as the, the great level of participation uh, by all of the ages in this room, Lord, have been a, they've been a great encouragement to my heart. And Lord, I believe it's drawing people, more and more people, drawing them, gathering them here. And we know that there is a man out there in his family that um, even now you're beginning to prepare his heart and to draw him to this place, to, be, to join our, our pastoral team and to lead this church in its musical worship. And we're, we're praying for him and praying that um, you will set the stage in due time to draw him to this place. We also pray for Ken Van Cura and uh, the team of Dwight Whitworth and company and uh, the, the way that, that they have connections across this nation. And, and I just pray, Lord, that uh, you will uh, engineer their conversations so that they learn about who we are. And as Ken comes and, and uh, learns more about us, that uh, you will inspire him and inspire others in their conversations to connect the dots to that man that's out there, that, that, that uh, this place is to be his home. But Lord, let it not just be this moment that we pray for them, but let us covenant to pray for them over and over and over again until you draw that man and his family to be a part of us. And so, Lord, we lay this at your feet, knowing that we need your help, and we know that you're going to meet the need, and we pray it in the name of Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, you pray, all right? And we look forward to how God is going to continue to drive us forward in our musical worship. Well, we're still in the book of Philippians, so why don't you take, open your Bibles, and let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to finish out Philippians 2 today, beginning in verse 18 in just a moment, uh, as we take a look at a message entitled, Selfless No Matter What. And I want to begin with a question for you, and that is this, are human beings generally more selfish or less selfish? Are human beings generally more selfish or less selfish? Let me be a little bit more specific. Are Americans generally more selfish or less selfish? Yeah, I think that's the case. In fact, study after study is showing that the United States is one of the most narcissistic nations on the planet. In fact, some studies show us as the most narcissistic nation. So let me, let me ask you another question, and this may get me a, a, in a little bit of trouble here. Who is more selfish, men or women? Right, that's not the message I really wanted to preach, all right? <laughs> a study published in, the Nature Human, in Nature Human Behavior, a, a magazine, 
A study published there found that the male neural reward system is more stimulated by self-centeredness and that women are more likely to get a dopamine rush by helping others. Now, hold on, ladies. Not so fast. There was a volunteering organization in the United Kingdom that commissioned a study because they were having trouble getting people to, to be a part of their volunteer organization. They, and they found this out about women, that women are more likely to walk past and ignore a charity worker, worker outside of a business, and that when they split chocolate, they are more likely to take the bigger piece. <laughs> it's not true for my wife, but it may be the rest of you, all right? I want you to think about the most selfish, self-centered people that you know. You may know several. Um, you may even have a list, right? Now let me ask you, is your name on that list? Probably not, because nobody really wants to think of themselves as selfish. But there, and there's a reason. There was a recent study by Yale University that shows that selfish people adapt their memories. That, is, that, that means that they misremember their egotistical behavior while noticing the self-centered behavior of other people. And they do this to sort of feel morally superior to other people. So if you think that everyone else is selfish but not yourself, you may just be misremembering your own selfishness, right? Here's the problem with selfishness and self-centeredness. For all of its desire to try to give you what you want, it is an obstacle to experiencing joy no matter what. And we're in this study out of the book of Philippians that we're calling no matter what. And in it, Paul is writing. Remember Paul, the apostle, Paul himself is a man who is dealing with his own challenges and his own struggles. He has a host of trials and tribulations that he's personally dealing with, and he is writing from prison. This is a prison letter that Paul is writing. He is writing because he can't go be present with other people, so he's writing this letter to a group of Christians in the city of Philippi, and these Philippian Christians themselves are dealing with their own trials and tribulations. And Paul is writing to them about being thankful and being joyful no matter what, over and over and over again. And one of, the, of his challenges to them is to be selfless, to be selfless no matter what you face. And he points out to the testimonies of a couple of believers that you're going to find in our text today. And so we're going to read of it, of these two individuals, Timothy and Epaphroditus. We're going to read of them beginning in verse 18. So why don't you stand with me as we read this challenge based on the testimonies of these two men for you and for me to not be selfish, to not be self-centered, but to be selfless no matter what. Beginning in verse 18. 19. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him. 
and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, I, so receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Lord, we know a little of Timothy, and we know very little of Epaphroditus, and yet the Holy Spirit saw fit to inspire Paul to include them in this letter. Because, Lord, there was something unique about them that set them apart and that caused Paul to lift them up as an example to the Philippian believers, but also to us. And I pray, Lord, that we can look through the centuries, from this moment to the past when this was first written, to their testimony and be encouraged by what we see in them, and that we might experience the joy, the selfless joy that they demonstrated in serving Paul, in serving the Philippians, and in serving you. And Lord, may we not only just read these words of them and hear of their story and pass on and forget about it, but may we truly strive to be examples and testimonies in our own way of selflessness in this world. So I ask that you encourage us with these words and their testimonies, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go ahead and have a seat. I think it's helpful here to be reminded that when you go through a, a letter, such as the one that Paul has written to us, that it was a letter that was often received and read all in one sitting. And sometimes because we break it up to get into to the, the uh, particulars, you know, we don't cover the whole book all in one setting, that we sometimes miss the broader context. And uh, such is the case here. This message is actually a continuation. The passage we've read, beginning in verse 19, is a continuation of last week's message. If you remember, beginning in verse 12, all the way through verse 18, that Paul was giving us an exhortation we summarize that exhortation as this, that we ought to work our salvation. We ought to live for Jesus, be obedient to Jesus, uh, live a sanctified life. That we should also protect our witnesses by not complaining, by not grumbling, by not questioning, because that often happens when you're self-centered and selfish. And that we should be the sacrifice, that we consider our needs last and be willing to even lay down our lives for the cause of Christ. And so that sort of sets up a, a, a pretext to the broader context of what we're reading in, in the verses that follow. Because here we now read immediately following those verses and that, that exhortation, he gives us two examples that show us how to flesh that out in real life. I want you to know that today's message from me is going to be a little bit different from the, from the norm. Um, from Right from the beginning, right out in the out, outset, I'm going to go ahead and give you all three points back to back to back to sort of lay out where we're going. That's one way it's going to be different. And we'll see how these, then these three points are true, first of Timothy and then of Epaphroditus. But the second thing that's unusual, and be thankful that you're here today because if I have any say in it, I'll never do this again. I'm going to use an acronym to frame my points. You know what an acronym is? It's a word uh, that, that, that is spelled from the, the first letter of several words, such as AWOL, you know, absent without leave, A-W-O-L, or ASAP, uh, as soon as possible. And if you know, know me much, I loathe sermon points that form a big word at the end, right? 
And I'll tell you why, because preachers that do that, not all of them, but, but most that I've seen, are really stretching the text and the meaning of the text to make it fit a particular word. And by conviction, I believe you let the text set the agenda of the message, not the other way around. And so some preachers will preach a message on prayer and they'll, they'll give you, you know, six letters that form out, the, that will, or six words that will often form out the word prayer or baptism or whatever. But today I'm going to use an acronym to preach to you, all right? And it's only because it does fit the text. And the, the acronym that I'm going to use is the acronym JOY, J-O-Y. You know this already probably. J stands for Jesus first, O is others second, and Y is yourself last. So J-O-Y, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Those are the three points of my message, okay? And if you want to experience joy regardless, be selfless. And you can do that by placing Jesus first and then consider others second before placing yourself last. And Paul's going to build upon these three truths and, and the testimony of his own sacrificial attitude by pointing out the testimonies of these two other believers. And it's these two testimonies that I want to share with you today. So let's take a few moments and take a look at these two examples of selflessness. And as Paul begins, he, he appears to give some sort of travel information here. He's letting the Philippians know of two people that they are aware of, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he's sort of sharing their upcoming itineraries, uh, to, more or less. But there is more as he's reminding them. Remember, this is a letter. Paul's not just giving them instructions. He's also informing them. And so he's informing them, hey, these guys are coming to you soon. But there's more to it than that as he's giving their itineraries and reminding them that they're, they're coming to see, him, see them. He, Paul also gives the selfless testimonies of each of these individuals. So, Again, we're going to examine both of these two men, their lives, their ministry, uh, their character, and to see how they demonstrate selfless joy by placing Jesus first, others second, and themselves last. So let's begin with Timothy. Let's talk about joy, J-O-Y, in the life of Timothy. And look at verse 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So now Paul, right at the beginning, is introducing them and us to one of his best ministry partners. His name is Timothy. And you, you may know more about Timothy than you ever will about Epaphroditus. Timothy was originally from Lystra in modern-day Turkey. He had a, a Greek father and a Jewish Christian mother and grandmother. And so he was Jewish, though he wasn't raised in the strong Jewish faith and tradition. He wasn't circumcised from birth. And Paul led Timothy to the Lord at a young age. And, 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 and Timothy was very instrumental in Paul's ministry uh, very early on. Timothy was with Paul when he was ministering in Corinth. He was sent to Macedonia in Acts chapter 19. And he was with Paul on the return trip from Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20. And he was also very instrumental in many of the writings of Paul. We often say, well, what are Paul's epistles? And we start pointing them out. But in many places in Paul's epistle, Paul mentions that Timothy was there and was a part of the writing of those books. Books like Romans and 2 Corinthians and Colossians and First and 2 Thessalonians, the book of Philemon, and yes, even this book of Philippians. And now Paul is relying upon Timothy 
while he is under house arrest. And Paul is intending to send Timothy to the Philippians soon. Not just yet, but soon, because apparently he still needs him. But before Paul turns away from talking about Timothy, he gives you and I a picture of Timothy that describes selfless joy. So let's take a look and see how J-O-Y fits in Timothy's life. And first note that Timothy was all about, yes, Jesus first. Look at verse 22. Paul remarks about Timothy, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. A key phrase there, a key word there is that word proven worth, which speaks to one's proven character. It's the, the kind of evaluation you make after someone has been through a trial, through a challenge, after they've been tested, uh, then you know what they're like. And so Timothy has been through some things that, get, that gave Paul the, 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 the moment to say he has proven worth. In fact, by this point, Timothy had served faithfully in the ministry for over a decade. He faced real challenges, and over and over and over again, his faith proved to be faithful. In fact, here's how Paul would describe Timothy in the pastoral epistles. They hadn't been written yet. There'll be a couple of years before he would write 1 Timothy, and about four or five years after that, that he would write the second letter to Timothy. But in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he called Timothy my true child in the faith. And then in, chapter, in, in the second epistle, uh, in the first chapter, he called him my beloved child and claimed that, that Timothy had a, quote, a sincere faith. So it was very, very obvious after years of observing and watching Timothy, Timothy that Paul and others saw in Timothy a, to be, saw him to be a faithful follower of Jesus. He would be, what we're, in the terminology we're using today, he would be a Jesus-first kind of guy. He was for Jesus first, and he was for the Lord's mission, his gospel. So how does that happen? If we're to be Jesus first kind of people, how do we go about being that kind of person? Well, it comes from working your salvation, as we talked about last week. It comes through daily obedience to Christ. You you cannot be Jesus first without also being obedient to him, without pursuing him in a sanctified life a life of sanctification. And as we walk in daily obedience with Him, we become day after day more and more like Jesus, and Jesus becomes more and more first in our lives. And over time, our faith is shown, like Timothy, to have a proven worth. And so like Timothy, let us strive to place Jesus first in all things. It's a very important thing. If you want to experience thanksgiving and joy no matter what, You need to make sure Jesus is first in your life. Pastor Ray Ortland once said this, and I I tend to agree, that half-hearted Christians are the most miserable people of all because they know just enough about God, he says, to feel guilty, but haven't gone far enough with Christ to be happy. I I think that's true in many ways. So don't be half-hearted when it comes to Jesus. Be all in by putting Jesus first every single day day. Order your life that way. Secondly, Timothy was also about others second. Look at verse 20. He says, for I have no one like him who will genuinely, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now Paul is making a very bold statement here, noting that Timothy is in a class all his own. Nobody else is like Timothy, Paul says. And what distinguishes him was his selflessness. 
As Paul would say of him, Timothy was genuinely concerned for their welfare. This is, by the way, pretty much the same way that, that Paul ta- thought. Remember what he w- wrote earlier in, in this chapter? Look, look down at verse 3 of chapter 2. Paul wrote there, he said this, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And so counting others more significant than yourself is a key to having an others second mentality. And, and, and let me just tell you, as, your, as the senior pastor of this church, I want to implore you, as we pursue Jesus more and put Him first, that before we step up into second place, that we more and more start considering others second and be a little bit more sacrificial when it comes to our service. And one of the, the pressing needs in the life of our church is we're seeing growth. And yes, we are seeing growth. There are many churches that are still struggling in, 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 in this post-pandemic uh, era of the church. But we're seeing a lot of families come into the life of our congregation. And we're starting to bust at the seams in some places. Uh, if you want to see what, what, what is happening in the life of our church, show up here Wednesday night and see the, the, the preschoolers, the children, uh, the, 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 the students that are scrambling all over this campus. Uh, this past Wednesday night was such an encouragement to me. And we do have places for adults as well, but I'm telling you, the kids are coming from all over and it's because we're reaching more and more families. But that put, puts an additional amount of pressure upon, uh, upon our volunteer staff. And so I want to encourage you to pray for our Next Gen, gen Ministry, our, which is our ministries to preschool and kids and students and college students. But in particular, we have a need in our preschool ministry. And uh, we're having baby booms down there, and, which is, praise the Lord, that's a great sign for a church and its future. But we need help in our preschool ministry. And following the service, you'll hear about this uh, at the end of our service. There are going to be some of our folks who serve in our preschool ministry. They're going to be available for you to talk to. And maybe as the Lord prompts you to sign up and be a part of that. But it's going to take some of you saying, you know what? As much as I love to be in the service every single week, and I don't want to miss what's happening in here, it takes an other's second mentality that will enable us to meet the needs of these students and these kids and their families. So I implore you to think in, in that regard. So like Timothy, let us place others second. Here's the third point regarding uh, Timothy. Let us have this proper perspective of others. And in other words, that puts us last, yourself last. Again, Paul had said of Timothy that there was no one like him, uh, that he was genuinely concerned about the welfare of other people. But then he makes this bold statement there in verse 23. But they, speaking of others similar to Timothy, but they all seek their own interest not those of Jesus Christ. When Paul writes this and states this, he's saying that that's not what Timothy is like. He's comparing Timothy to about most of these other ministers that he knows, and he says that, that Timothy's not like them. He's in a category all by himself. He's different from the rest. They're seeking after their own interest to some degree. They're not seeking after Jesus' interest first. Now remember Paul's words that he gave at the beginning of the chapter. We read verse 3, now look at verse 4 of of Philippians 2. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. He says that earlier in the chapter, and then he holds up Timothy now and says, Timothy's one that is embodying this truth. He's not looking out just for his own interest, he's looking out to the interest of others. 
and looking out to the interest of others will necessitate sacrificial giving on your part, on my part, which means we're going to have to give up our wants, we're going to have to give up our desires sometimes, our comforts sometimes. That's what it means to put yourself last. I came across a story this week that's really no greater modern-day example of what this could look like. It's a story of a, a, a woman by the name of Christiana Plews. Christiana is a fire chief for the Upper McKenzie Fire and Rescue outside of Eugene, Oregon. And as she was leaving home one night, she was, there was a call, and as she was going out into the night, as she left, she sort of had this ominous feeling, and she said to her husband, you know, I think my worst nightmare is about to become true. And what was happening was she was heading out to fight a wildfire that was about 30 miles away up the valley, but she also knew that the area was very, very dry. The weather forecaster had predicted very high winds, and as it turned out, five hours later, She's being called to evacuate several towns up and down the valley, including her own town. She calls her home, speaks to her family, and says, get out of there. Get in the car and get out. The fire is out of control, and it is ripping down the valley. Here's the thing. Christiana and her entire fire crew were all volunteer firefighters. None of them had to be there. They were all volunteers. And while they were battling the fires as best as they could and trying to evacuate others, working tirelessly to save others in their homes, you know what was happening in her own hometown? The fire ripped through and destroyed even her home and their homes. And if you really think about it, because of her role, she had both the ability and the resources to save her own home, her own family, and she could have looked very specifically just to the concerns of her own family, but instead she considered the needs of others and her concerns last. That's being the sacrifice. You know, we talked about that last week, being the sacrifice, being willing to lay down and all, not seeking your own interests, but seeking the interest of others. Now that's the wonderful example that we have in Timothy and the joy, J-O-Y, in his selflessness. A wonderful example here, but he's not the only one. Now let's take a look at the next character that Paul brings up, and that is Epaphroditus. Now look at joy in the life of Epaphroditus. Look at verse 25. He said, I'm going to send you Timothy, but I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And here he's introducing us to this new character. We, we know lots about Timothy, not so much about Epaphroditus, but here's what we do know. Epaphroditus in the Bible is only mentioned here in the book of Philippians. He was either a pastor uh, or, or an elder in the church in Philippi, and he's been sent by Paul, uh, sent to Paul, by the way, from the Philippians. He's been sent to Paul to minister to him, uh, to carry a financial gift, because even though Paul was incarcerated, he was not in jail jail. He was under house arrest, and that required a financial burden on Paul's part. If he didn't want to, to go into the pro- jail proper and to remain in, under house arrest, he had to pay for it. And so the Philippians are sending a financial gift via Epaphroditus. And so he's carrying this financial gift to meet Paul's daily needs. And it was while Epaphroditus was in Rome that Epaphroditus becomes sick and nearly died from this illness. And because of this, Paul has now decided to send him back to his home church in Philippi. Okay? So that's his story that we know to the best of our ability. It's almost entirely uh, described here. And as Paul is just sharing about Epaphroditus, we learn some important things about him. 
And we see that he has a testimony similar to Timothy's and that he is experiencing joy, J-O-Y, in the face of selfishness. So, first note that like Timothy, Epaphroditus was a Jesus-first kind of person in his life. Look at verse 25 again. He says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And he says, it refers to him as my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. All five of these terms are describing Epaphroditus' life. As brother, Paul was saying, look, we, we share a common father and Lord in our God. And so Paul considered him as much a part of the family of God as, as himself. As a fellow worker, Paul was pointing out to the fact that, that Epaphroditus was laboring with Paul in the ministry. He wasn't a pew sitter. He was the kind of guy that when he called for a volunteer, he was the first to raise his hand. As a fellow soldier, he was engaged in spiritual warfare. He was in the trenches, so to speak, with, with Paul, spiritually speaking. As a messenger, that word messenger means sent one. And it's a reminder that, that Paul saw Epaphroditus as one who was on mission for Christ. And as a minister, it was an indication that he was engaged in ministry. All of these descriptions point to the fact that Epaphroditus was walking with the Lord, putting Jesus first in his life, engaged in sanctified living. And like Timothy, Epaphroditus was also a guy who put others second. Look at verse 26. He says, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because he heard that he was ill. Because you heard that he was ill. Let me read that again. He has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. I have to admit that when I read this, I'm really taken back by the sentiment here. As we're going to see here in a moment, Epaphroditus was very, very sick. He almost died. For whatever afflicted him, he almost died from it. And yet, even though he is deathly ill, he's not worried about himself. He's worried that, that the news of his condition is going to negatively impact his family and friends back in Philippi. I'm going to tell you, people who are like that are some of the most special people to me. As a pastor, um, one of the privileges of being a minister is, is ministering to folks in various stages of illness, sometimes terminal illness. And people who, who are, in, as far as the world is concerned, in very dire straits and they're not going to survive whatever illness is afflicting them or accident or injury that they're dealing with, and yet somehow they, they, they make, things, make the concerns and needs and impressions of others far more important than their own, those are special people to me. A number of times I've walked into to hospital rooms to some of the folks that are staring back at me intending for myself to be a blessing to them in, in their suffering and in their struggle, and yet you were a blessing to me more than I was ever a blessing to you. You remind me of one of my dear uh, co-workers back in my church in Kentucky, in Corbin, Kentucky. We had a young secretary by the name of Regina Ty, and not long after she became a, a, a part of our staff, about a year or so in, uh, she developed lung cancer that eventually took her life. And every time I would go to her home or to the hospital to minister to her, I mean, she suffered great. I'm telling you, few people suffered as physically, as intently, as, as intensely as she did. And she wasn't always up for visitors, but every time somebody would come by and knock on the hospital room door or knock on her home, uh, the door of her home, I being one of those, even when they would come in, when she really didn't feel like it, she always offered a smile and welcomed them with a smile. 
And when I talked to her about it one time, she, she admitted, she said, I did not want my illness to make anyone else feel bad. Isn't that something? I don't know about you. I'm one of those people that when I get sick, just leave me alone and stay away, all right? And she may have felt that way, but she was not going to let her experience be a detriment to others. You know, that's a, an others' second kind of mentality. And we, we need to be more like Regina, more like Epaphroditus, and more like so many of you by putting the needs and the concerns of others way before we put them in, before our own concerns. And like Timothy, Epaphroditus, his testimony is also this, yourself last. Verse 27, here's where it talks about his illness. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Here Paul's really thankful that he didn't have to watch Epaphroditus die, but he is also mentioning how he's eager to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippians. And then he tells them this, verse 29, So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You've got to remember that while Epaphroditus, I mean, he's in Rome, he's there to minister to someone who is in need, and Epaphroditus has his own need. He falls ill, deathly ill, almost died from whatever he suffered from. He was tirelessly ministering to, to Paul, perhaps maybe so much so that it caused his body to become physically weak, and he nearly worked himself to death. And he did it all for the cause of Christ and for the sake of others, which meant that he put everyone else first over his own needs, which by default meant himself last. He embodied this. So do you see these points in both of these individuals? As Paul is lifting up both Timothy and Epaphroditus, he's lifting up for us these two paragons of selflessness as if to say, be like these. Put Jesus first. Others second and yourself last. And in this letter, promoting thanksgiving and joy in Christ as he lifts up these two selfless human beings, men worthy of emulating, Paul then encourages the Philippians and us to lift up people like them as well. For he writes in conclusion there in verse 29, I just read it, let me read it again. He tells us, when you encounter people that are selfless like these, to receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. You know, there's a, there's a danger to cater to the selfish among us, right? We don't want to, but, you know, the, the, the squeakiest wheel, the loudest squeak gets the most oil, right? And Paul says, no, 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 no. The, 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 those that we need to lift up and we need to emulate are those that are not saying, lift me up that are not saying, give me attention, but the ones that we should lift up are the ones who are putting everyone else before themselves, putting Jesus first, others second, and themselves last. And so in light of these two testimonies, he's telling us how we greet them, instructing us to, to receive selfless people with joy. In other words, to take selfless people in, make them a part, accept them, make what they are, to be what we strive to, make it the norm among us, but also to respect selfless people with honor, to honor such men. In other words, to elevate selflessness, to, to make it a priority, 
to make selflessness the desired goal. You know, there's this idea, that I think it's fading away in the life of the church, is for all of the, the, the toughness that we went through and churches went through these last couple of years with this pandemic, you know, I, I might have said that the church of, of Christ, a few years ago, I might have said that the church of Christ has become the church of me. You know, where we, we tend to focus so much to meet the needs of individual people or certain people just to grow. But I think as we've come through the pandemic, so many of those people that were str- shouting out, meet my needs and, and, and focus on me, so many of them were really not putting Jesus first. And they're really most of them are not with us much anymore. They've gone on to other things when they realized that the church couldn't meet their needs anymore. They've gone off to other things, many of them. But one of the challenges that we face in the, in the church of now, that as we try to find our new way post this, this pandemic, that we not ever again become the church of me. That the church strive in everything and, and to a person to put Jesus first, others second, ourselves last. And let me remind you that the, that the church is not about me, and it's not about you, but it has always been about Jesus Christ. As the Bible describes Him, He is the head. He is Lord. Therefore, He is to be first. And when He and He alone is truly first, then the rest will naturally happen. It will supernaturally happen. If you, you're not inclined to put others first and yourself last, well, friend, push to put Jesus first. And as you walk with Him day by day in sanctified living and obedience, you'll find it easier and easier to put others second and yourself last. And then, don't be surprised that no matter what you face, no matter what comes your way, no matter what trial, tribulation, test, challenge afflicts you, that you experience joy. But Jesus must be first. And if that's not true for you, friend, it is not too late. Today can be the day that it begins with you. Placing Jesus first so that you can be the selfless example that Christ has called you and died for you to be. Would you pray with me for a moment? Lord, sometimes because of the faithfulness of this church body, so many good and faithful people that I have the privilege of preaching to and week in and week out and I'm encouraged by their engagement of the text as I've seen today, their affirmation of the text. That sometimes, uh, uh, to use a, an overused phrase, it feels like preaching to the choir because they know it already and they're embodying it. And so, Lord, I, I pray that today's message has been more of an encouragement to keep on putting Jesus first for as many of the folks in this room as possible and less of... Um, a correction for those that aren't doing so. Now, all of us, Lord, we can all be a little less selfish and more selfless, and I pray that this passage will encourage us to that end. But also pray, Lord, that it will encourage the one or the two who aren't putting you first, who've claimed the name of Christ in the past, but for one reason or another, just aren't doing that anymore, that today be the day that they're reminded of what you uplift and want uplifted, which is selflessness. And especially in in light of 
the worst of circumstances, that we just don't care about our own interest and our own needs, but we care more for your interest, you and the needs and interest of others before ourselves. But Lord, if there is one here today that does not know you, they've not yet found forgiveness of sins from you and the work that you did upon the cross for them, that today be the day that they finally recognize that they are sinners and they're separated from you and that they need the forgiveness that only you provide. And I pray for the Holy Spirit of God to convict them, to help them to see that apart from a relationship with you, they can never put you first. And if they can never put you first, they'll never experience the joy that you have intended for them. So do the work, Holy Spirit, we pray, that only you can do. We ask it in your name. Amen.